Uh, we are glad to be here and have in church uh, this Pentecost Sunday. As we uh, end, we, we come to the culmination of a sermon series that we've been studying the I Am statements of Jesus that we find in the Gospel of John. And if you've missed any of these messages, I encourage you to go back and listen. Uh, there have been, it's, been, it's been really interesting to me to, to walk through each of these statements and notice that even though it's a single statement, the, the larger chapter and context of each statement really gives life to what, what Jesus is, is on about, really. And, th- and this statement today is, is no different. Uh, today we come to the end of our series and we're talking about Jesus as the true vine and us as the branches. And so, before we dig into our scripture, let's stop for a moment of prayer and invite uh, God's presence to be with us. Gracious God, we give you thanks this day in the midst of what has been for most of us a difficult week as our hearts go out to our neighbors down south, to the students and community of Santa Fe High School. As we heard this morning, our worship band saying, there's no place I'd rather be. And that's true for me, and I know that's true for us. There's no place I'd rather be right now this morning than here in your arms, here in your word, here on a Pentecost Sunday, a Sunday where we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. So God, let your Holy Spirit descend upon us again this Sunday. Let it descend into our hearts and our minds and our souls. Let it descend into the words that we're going to be reading this morning. Let them leap off of the screens and into our hearts. Make these teachings of Jesus real for us so we could find ourselves closer to you. In your sons and we pray, amen. Jesus says this in the chapter 15 of John, beginning in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Let's stop there. (laughs) It's a good place to stop, right? Um, So we're going to keep going this morning uh, as we continue on with the message, but I'm going to stop along the way and unpack, because there's a lot in in this chapter 15 of John that we've got to get into. Um, I wanted to stop here. This 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 is the portion of 15 where Jesus is talking about this metaphor of vines and branches, and yeah, there's that part at the end that we'll address in just a second about throwing branches into fire and all that. Um, But this is where he's really talking about the metaphor of I am the vine, you are the branches. Then he goes on and he talks about some other things that we'll talk about in a second. But let's stop here and really understand what Jesus is saying when he says he is the vine, we are the branches. Those who abide in me will bear much fruit and those who don't can do nothing. What is, what is he addressing there? Um, so in, in the Christian faith, uh, there, are, there are teachings that are against our, our beliefs, our, our doctrine, and the, and the fancy word for those teachings that are against the doctrine of the church are heresies, right? 
heresies. And, and, and heresies, uh, is, 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 they're kind of fun to study because frequently you'll study heresies and you'll realize that you've been a heretic, right? Um, like, oh shoot, I actually believe that. I need to figure out if I do or not, you know? There's a really common heresy that I see a lot in the Christian church, uh, and it came from, uh, and it's one that I've fallen into a lot, and it's one that I have to sort of actively fight against, and it's what Jesus is talking about here in John 15. It's this heresy that was lifted up by a teacher back in the early Christian church by the name of Pelagius. They had such cooler names back then. You know, Pelagius. Now, Pelagius wanted to believe that human beings had a lot that they could do on their own. Pelagius believed that human beings were capable of making choices on their own, that human beings could choose to not only do evil and to commit sins, but that human beings could also choose to do good on their own. And that on their own part of his belief is what led him to be rejected by the church. It's what started the, quote, Pelagian controversy. And you know that you've done something bad when they name a controversy after you in the Christian church, right? I hope one day there's not the Scott controversy, right? That would be a little scary. Um, So the church is, they hear Pelagius talking, but they say, wait a second, we, we believe that human beings are capable of a great many things, but, but you keep talking about that they're able to do these things on their own, and, and that's what we have an issue with. It's this belief that Pelagius had that we call Pelagianism. Again, you know you've done something weird in the church when they name an ism after you. Uh, Pelagianism is the belief that we can do good without God. And yet, the 15th chapter of John seems to shut the door on this idea. Because Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And it's easy for the branches to begin to think that they're pretty cool, because the branches are what bear fruit. The branches are what have flowers. The branches are the things that have leaves. The vine, the vine's kind of boring by comparison, right? And yet Jesus says, what happens to the branch if you cut it off from the vine? You know, we just had Mother's Day. Anybody get some flowers from your children? Yeah. They're dead now, right? It's what happens. It looks beautiful for a moment, and the, and the branch will go, look at what I did. Look at me. I made a flower. You go, great. Do that on your own. Stick it in some water, and in a week, it's dead, and it stinks because the branch can't do it on its own. It doesn't have the strength to draw from itself. It needs something to be tethered to, to draw life from in order to survive. And so in the Christian church, we don't believe that we're able to do good without God because that would mean that we're a branch that doesn't need a vine. We can do everything on our own. If we can do good without God, then why does Jesus Christ need to live and die and live again? And yet I, I see so many um, times in the, in the Christian church and even in my own life, I'll, I'll slip into Pelagianism where I'll begin to think that I'm, you know, I'm capable of doing some pretty awesome things on my own and, and I have to fight against that. John Wesley was really sold out to this idea that God had to be active for good things to happen. But John Wesley also looked around at the world and saw so many good things happening with people that may not even be inside the church. And this may be where you sort of go, well, Scott, you know, if, if we can only do good with God, then what about my friends who aren't Christian? You know, what about my friends who aren't connected to the vine? They don't know who Jesus is. They don't have faith in Jesus. They don't walk with Jesus. Are you telling me that they don't do any good ever in their life? No, that's not what I'm saying. And John Wesley was really sold out to this idea, and it's why he believed in something. John Wesley is the guy that started Methodism, by the way. Sorry, should have mentioned that. 
It's not just like my buddy, John. It's this guy, John Wesley, I know. No. So John Wesley, founder of Methodism, he was really sold out to this idea, and it's why he believed in something called provenient grace. That's a fancy word. That means the grace of God that is alive and at work in every single person, whether or not we recognize that God exists or that we want a relationship with God or that we can articulate our faith in Jesus. If we, if we can't do any of those things, it's still the grace of God that's at work in our lives. And it's why we baptize babies, for instance, in the Methodist church. You know, babies don't know who God is yet. You know, they, they don't know a whole lot. They know how to poop and how to eat and sleep. That's pretty much it. But we believe that God's grace is already at work in their lives, even though they can't even articulate faith in God. And so we baptize them as a sign of God's love and grace at work in their lives. So your friend who's an atheist, or your friend who's Muslim, or your friend who's whatever, your friend who's at Starbucks, your friend who's more interested in the Cowboys game than going to church, yes, God is at work in their lives, even though they don't know how to articulate that, even if they don't recognize it themselves. But it's really important for us to remember that, that we don't do good on our own, that we need something, something outside of us. We need to be tethered to that vine of Jesus Christ to draw strength from because I've noticed in my life that when I tend to slice my branch off and go, you know what, I think I'm good on my own, Jesus. And I spend less time in prayer and I, I spend less time in scripture and I spend less time in fellowship with people who are connected to the vine, and, and, and I find myself more isolated, then I'm just not as fruitful. I'm not as grace-filled. I, I'm not as loving or as kind or as Christ-like as I'd like to be. And then when I find myself reconnected, I, it's like, whoa. It's like if you were to take that flower and put it back on the vine somehow, and all of a sudden it blooms even bigger. Like, oh, have you felt that before in your life where you knew you were detached, you got yourself back on, you went, oh my gosh, that's what it's like to be connected to the vine. So we've got to, we've got to reject Pelagianism. We, we, we've got to reject this heresy that we're capable of doing good all on our own without God. Even when we're far from God, God's still at work through us. The good that we do in this life is all from God. God is the true vine. And so in response, we, it's pretty simple. We, don't, we, we try not to be heretics and, and we try to remain humble and thankful. God, thank you so much for the fruit that you bear in my life. Because it's not really the branch that's bearing the fruit. It's the vine that's giving life to the branch. God, thank you so much for the beauty that you're creating in my life. It's not the flower that's doing the work. It's the vine connected to the flower that's doing the work. So with that in mind, this idea that we need God in our lives, we need God connected to us, we need God to bring about the good in our lives. Let's keep reading what Jesus says in verse 7, as he continues, he says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. Whoop, what is this? These are, wait a second, I've got, no, I've got the right words. Yeah, oh, I had the wrong scripture reference. Uh-oh, that's probably, yeah, we've got the wrong ones on the screen. So that's my bad. All right, so ignore the screens. I'm like, this is not John 1, but these are the right words. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we're not going to talk about light now. Okay, let's just stop. Do we have like a delay on the stream? Can we just like cut those last 30 seconds? Bear with me, I'm a professional. All right, so just ignore the screens. Jake, I'm so sorry. Uh, we're beginning in verse 7. You're just going to have to listen to my sultry voice, okay? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you will bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Okay, let's stop there. So by this point in chapter 15, we have heard this word abide like 11 times. Abide, 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 abide. In fact, in the Gospel of John, Jesus kind of talks in circles a couple of times. This is one of those times where he says, you know, I abide in the Father. The Father abides in me. I abide in you. You abide in me. When you abide in me, you abide in the Father. And all of the love abides, abides, abides. But you're like, okay, Jesus, I get it. Kind of, maybe. Can you unpack that for me a little bit? I think the reason this word abide is used 11 times and why Jesus talks about being in us and with us and God working in us and with us is because there's something essential about the Christian faith that needs God to be active and present at every single part of it. That God is not some sort of faraway king sitting on a throne that we can't reach, but God is here with us now in this moment, in this breath. God's there. And, and today is Pentecost Sunday, as Didi mentioned earlier in worship, and today is the day um, of Pentecost that we, that we celebrate and recognize when the Holy Spirit descended upon the church in Acts 2, breathed life and fire into the souls of the early Christians, and reminded them the words of Jesus when he ascended, when he said, I am sending an advocate for you. And God sends the Holy Spirit to be present with us because God knew something that, that, that we weren't quite aware of yet. And that's that you know people, just people on their own, when you get them together, ultimately they're going to fail. You know, it doesn't matter how strong the movement is. It doesn't matter you know, how great the cause is. If all you've got is people, it's going to fail ultimately in the end. But if you've got... God in the mix, if you have the Holy Spirit in the mix of those people and the Holy Spirit is guiding the hearts and the Holy Spirit is guiding their minds, the Holy Spirit is guiding the movement, then the movement might suffer wins and losses along the way, but in the end, the movement will succeed because it's not just people. There's something more that's there. I think in the church, it can be really easy for us to forget that God is a part of this and must be a part of it for it, be, for it to be church. You know, I, I get people in Thrive sometimes, they ask me, Scott, why do we pray so much in this worship service? Have y'all ever thought, be honest, have you ever thought, why do we pray so much, right? It's okay. Um, we pray so much because we don't want to forget for even 20 minutes that God has to be a part of what we're doing here for it to be church. That if all we are is just a bunch of people coming together for a cause, that's fine, that's great, but ultimately it's, it's not going to work. We pray so much because before we get into scripture, we want the Holy Spirit to be there and to make it more than just words on a page. Before we get into worship, we want the Holy Spirit to be there and to make it more than just listening to good music. Before we gather together with cups of coffee and have fellowship time, we want the Holy Spirit to be there and to elevate it to something more. I'll put it to you this way, without the Spirit, if you take the Spirit out of church, worship becomes a concert, preaching becomes a TED Talk, and church becomes a social club. Now, I, I love concerts, and I love TED Talks. I feel ambivalent about social clubs. <laughs> but those things are all fine in and of themselves, but those things are not worth sacrificing your life over. 
Those things are not worth devoting your life to. Those things are not worth taking this amount of energy and this amount of resources to further something like a concert or a TED Talk or a social club. The Holy Spirit is what makes it worship and preaching in church. So yeah, we pray a lot. And we're going to pray a lot this Pentecost Sunday. Because we have to remind ourselves, not only do we as individuals do good because of God, we are the church because of the Holy Spirit. We are the church because God is with us, God is present. And with God's presence, with God's spirit, the church can do amazing things that a movement might not be able to do otherwise. And Jesus says that the way that his love abides in us, though, see, did you, did you catch this line? He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Okay. So what commandments is he talking about then? What are the rules, Jesus? I didn't know there was a string attached. What are the rules that we have to follow to have your love abide in our lives? And remember, he's talking to a Jewish audience who is used to a lot of rules. And they're going, okay. We've been following about 600 rules for the last several hundred years. What rules do you have for us now, Jesus, in order for your love to abide with us? Well, let's see what Jesus says. Picking up again in verse 12, and ignore the screen. Sorry again for that. This is my commandment, he says. You ready? That you love one another as I have loved you. Yep, that's it. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You, he says, are my friends, if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. If you keep my commandments, my love will abide in you. Jesus, what's all the commandments? Hit, them with, hit us with them. Love one another as I have loved you. And he says, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. Why? Not because I like you. I do like you. The reason I call you friends is because a servant doesn't know what the master is doing. The servant doesn't understand the plans of the master, doesn't know the master plan. But you're friends because you do. So when Jesus says this, he makes two things clear to me, really, really crystal clear. Number one, he reminds us of the great commandment that we hear throughout the Gospels. We hear it in the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus isn't making this up. He's not pulling this out of thin air. This is where all the law came out of was this idea of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and loving others as yourself. Jesus distills it even further in the Gospel of John and says, love others, full stop. That's the commandment. That's what these rules really are all about. Love others. If it doesn't fit that mold, then don't worry about it. Love others. That's the first thing he reminds me of. The second thing is he reveals that the master plan is not that complicated. You know, there have been times in my life, you tell me if you're like this too, where I've gone, God, what is your plan? God, won't you just reveal to me what's the cosmic plan? What, what is your plan for this world? This world seems so broken. What's your plan? What are you thinking, God? What, what are we supposed to do? And Jesus says, you're friends. You're not servants. Don't pretend like you don't know what the plan is. What's the plan? It's to love. It really is that simple. 
It's to keep his commandments, to love others as Jesus has loved you. I also love in the Gospel of John, he doesn't say love others as you love yourself. That's helpful for me. I don't need to love others like I love myself. There's times that I hate myself, right? There's times that I eat Whataburger at 11.45 at night, even though I know that's a bad idea. I don't need to love others like I love myself. I need to love others the way Jesus loves me. Jesus says that's the master plan, love others. But what else? Why don't you keep doing that for a while, see how that works. That's the master plan. You know, I, I can get so stuck in my head sometimes. I can get so stuck in my head sometimes, and I, I, I try to overanalyze everything, and I hear Jesus in chapter 15 of John just saying, Scott, don't overthink it. It's all about love. It's all about love. All the commandments are about love. The master plan's about love. Your life on this earth is about love. God's existence with you is all about love. It's all love. Don't overthink it. It's all love. Today is Pentecost Sunday when we celebrate God's loving, abiding presence with us through the Holy Spirit. And it's a Pentecost Sunday that has come after a difficult week, another difficult week, um, another school shooting, um, the 10th one of this year, not even including suicides. Um, Reagan and I are going to a meeting uh, this afternoon where we'll be recognized by our district. We're about to get ordained in June, which is really exciting. And, you know, we've been reverends now. I know it's a little confusing. We've been reverends for a couple of years. If I married you, that marriage is still above board. Um, we've been reverends for about two, almost three. I've been, you know, anyways, we've been reverends for a couple of years now. And um, nine. That is the number of Sundays I've had to get up into a pulpit after a school shooting in a couple of years. And, uh, and, and it's interesting, after these kind of, kinds of weeks, um, sometimes I'll hear people say, you know, why do we have to talk about this in church? Why do we have, it's, it feels like we're, you know, getting political talking about this stuff. Trust me, I wish I didn't have to talk about this stuff. I wish I lived in a different world. But I don't. And this was a week where, I mean, Friday brought me low. It brought me really low. And I needed the Holy Spirit to show up in my life. Did you feel that way too? I, need, I needed something to be on myself. I needed a, a true vine to lift me out of that place because I, I just was really thinking, you know, what are we doing? And then I watched the royal wedding. Do you know how little I cared about the royal wedding? Like, take zero and then subtract a lot. Like, I could not have given less of a flip about two people getting married in not even my own country. Not even, is it even our hemisphere? I don't even know. That's how little I care. I don't even know if they're in the same hemisphere. I, I, I don't care. I don't care. But I, I sat down and I was watching uh, with Reagan and a, and a friend and Andy and... Um, Bishop Michael Curry showed up, and would you know that they had church in England at the royal wedding with the queen there. Michael, if you didn't watch it, you need to. When I'm when we're done here, don't get up and leave right now. When we're done here, go home, hop on YouTube, watch his sermon. It's better than what you've heard this morning. He he preached. Now, if you don't know Bishop Michael Curry, he's the African-American bishop of the Episcopal Church, the first African-American bishop of the Episcopal Church in America. 
And he was invited to be the preacher. You know, some news outlets called him the speaker. He delivered a speech. That was not speech. That was a sermon. He preached at the royal wedding. And he, his, his enthusiasm, his energy, his excitement was so noticeable. I mean, he was hopping over the lectern, about to knock the candles over if you watch the video. I was like, someone's going to catch on fire. The Holy Spirit's showing up this morning. And you got the, 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 the white and polite British folks sitting there, you know, and you got Camilla going, oh, this is not very, oh, this is not proper at all, you know. And, and they just don't even know what to do with real preaching. It's crazy. And I watch the younger people sitting there, go, and I'm looking at their eyes, and they're digging it. And I'm like, maybe if we preached like that in England, people would show back up to church. Maybe if we preached like that in America, we would too. The Holy Spirit showed up at the royal wedding, and, and Michael Curry, Bishop Michael Curry, spoke a word of truth and of power and a word of love. He opened with a quote from Martin Luther King. He said, we must discover the power of love. The redemptive power of love. And when we do that, we will make of this old world a new world. For love is the only way. Bishop Curry knows what Martin Luther King knew, and that's that Jesus makes the plan crystal clear. We've got to stop overcomplicating it. It's all about love because love, true love, not puppy dog, syrupy, over-sentimentalized love, but true love, love born of a Holy Spirit that burns in your soul has the power to conquer everything evil. Bishop Curry spoke to that power when he said this. He said, I'm talking about some power, real power, power to change the world. If you don't believe me, well, there are some old slaves in America's antebellum south who explained the dynamic power of love and why it has the power to transform. They explained it this way. They sang a spiritual. Even in the midst of their captivity, it's one that says there's a balm in Gilead, a healing balm. Something that can make things right. There is a balm in Gilead, he says, to make the wounded whole. This is the lyrics from the song. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. One of the stanzas actually explains why. He's still quoting. They said, if you cannot preach like Peter and you cannot pray like Paul, you just tell the love of Jesus how he died to save us all. Now, I don't pretend to understand the experiences of African-American slaves in the antebellum South. But what I do know is that we are a people spiritually enslaved in America today. And I don't know how else to talk about it. We are a people spiritually enslaved. We are enslaved to violence and a culture of violence. We are enslaved to divisiveness and a culture of division. We are enslaved to corruption throughout every system of leadership. We, maybe worst of all, are enslaved to apathy. We just don't care. We're numb to it. And just as the song says you might get frustrated if you cannot preach like Peter and you cannot pray like Paul, maybe you think to yourself, you know, I can't change laws like legislators. I can't change culture like media moguls. So what do I do? The song draws upon the vine of life of Jesus Christ and says we share the love of a Savior who died for you. What do we do after Santa Fe or after Parkland or after whatever the next school is going to be? We don't overthink it. We love. 
and not syrupy, sentimental love. We love with the Holy Spirit kind of love. We love in the name of Jesus. We love with tears in our eyes and righteous anger in our hearts. We love with a love that hurts. We love with a love that needs to cry out. We love with a love that says there is a value to life in Congress and culture. You're going to listen to us because my love is strong enough because it's not my love. It's the love of my Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. It's the love of my Holy Spirit who descends upon my church. It's a love that furthers a movement of love that will not fail. That is what we do. We keep it simple. We have a love that thinks and prays and God bless us, a love that acts. We have a love that knows that even though this old world is a slave to sin and violence and wickedness and apathy, that is the love of God that works through God's holy church made righteous and powerful by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That kind of love when we find it and we allow it to abide and then we allow it to spread forth, that kind of love will make us a new world. It's a redeeming love. It's a powerful love. And it's a love that wins. Let us pray. Gracious God, we need you this morning. We need you every morning, but we need you on Pentecost. Because this is a day that we reject the idea that we are capable of anything without you. Where we cling to your abiding love by living out your commandment to love others as you have loved us. God, light a fire in our souls. Wake us up to the reality that we live in a world enslaved to violence and apathy and divisiveness. Make us agents of your love out in the world around us. Keep us humble and thankful that we get to be bearers of your love in the world around us. And God, don't let us get lost in hopelessness. Don't let us get lost in fear. Don't let us get lost in a screaming anger that accomplishes nothing. Let us find hope in the clear present voice of your Holy Spirit that says yes we live in an old world today but a new one is coming a new world built on your love and we get to help build it God remind us that vines take time to grow that fruit takes time to bear but as your word says in Paul's letter to the Galatians, if we keep doing what is right and what is good, if we continue to live in your abiding love, we will reap at harvest time. 
are not mocked by violence. You are not mocked by sin. You bring about your master plan, a plan that is simple, that isn't complicated, but is complete. Let us live in your plan of love. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.